Thank you for joining us on the Real Religion Podcast today, where a rabbi and a reverend walk into a podcast and talk real about religion. I hear you've got a fun topic for us to go through today. What's up with you, Eric? I'm working with a couple, not from the congregation, someone I know personally, where one is Jewish and one's not, and they're having issues. They're they're about to get married, and they're having issues, um, and they're having wonderful conversations about how to raise children. And w- one of the debates they're getting into is I the the Christian spouse um, who is lo- wonderful says, you know, I want my child to believe in Jesus. And I just was thinking about what would you say to that, right? Like, it, to, because it's one thing, you know, I want my child to go to church. I want my child to be baptized. But to believe in Jesus was, it really raised my hackles after talking to you and this disparity between belief and action and what, what that all means. Um, I can think of two couples um, where they are, they're interfaith, uh, Jewish Christians, and that I've been around. And one couple has kids, and they they raise them in both faiths. So they attend synagogue and church. And she's a member at the church, and, and he's a participating member at the synagogue. And their kids know the rituals and traditions of both places. They don't always go to both, but they know both traditions. And it's amazing. But do they identify? See, the the challenge for me is I think that that's possible and beautiful. But do they identify with both? I I think dad says, yeah, I'm Jewish. And mom says, yeah, I'm Christian. And they just wait. They just wait. And they expose both kids to both. He He helped us lead a Seder at that Christian church. And I had already taken Hebrew, so he asked me to be one of the readers. So I was happy sure. to do that. And it was amazing. But he set out the plates, and he had all the the ingredients, and you know, he walked us through it. He's not a pro at this, but like you said, hey, rabbi, you don't need a rabbi, just somebody who knows it. That's right. Um, now, the other couple that I know, he is of a Christian tradition, but just doesn't practice. And she is of a Jewish household, but doesn't worship. And they're raising beautiful kids um, in no faith tradition, per se, right? They, they have no faith disciplines or faith practices, but their kids are amazing. And they, they talk to their kids about the, the faith and the faith traditions of their parents, but they don't practice it themselves. Um, I kind of prefer the first example more than the second um, because I don't see faith as as a choice. I, I think people are spirit, and you have to have a community of faith to nourish the spirit. Yes, you can get it nourished in nature. Yes, you can get it nourished in familial relationships, friend relationships, all over, the, you know, just in reading and thinking. But I, I think that a community is essential to really bloom spirit into all it's created to be. So I totally agree. I I just, I, and I I wonder if it's because we're a minority, but I, I could tell you that from a policy standpoint, most synagogues that I know of have a policy that if a child is for a child to be enrolled in religious school and have a bar mitzvah, there's an expectation that they are only participating in Judaism. 
<laughs> um, and whether that's right or wrong, I mean, can be can be discussed. But um, I, I, because I, I, for me, it's it's like it's one thing to learn about two religions, absolutely. And and at my congregation, as you know, in most Reformed congregations, there are plenty of interfaith uh, relationships, and where. Um, one one spouse is Jewish, one's not, and if they have kids, they've agreed to raise the children Jewish. And sometimes one of the spouses is exactly as you said in that first example. Will go to church, will serve as an elder in a church, things like that. Um, but in terms of the child, I, I do think it's important that they know that they are Jewish, they are Christian. Um, I, I don't because how would a child? pick a religion. I, I mean, I, later on as an adult, sure. But as a child, I, I just, I, I don't know how that can happen with, with the intelligence and integrity that's required. Well, I don't know how you can, you know, a little pushback to that. I, I don't know how you can force a kid to only practice Judaism and expect that to be the faith of their choice. Right. So and what's nice about I, I always thought this was nice about Judaism and being Jewish. Um, you are born Jewish. You just are. It's sorry. That's who you are, period. And you'll never not be. Now, the question of practicing Judaism is the choicey angle. Right. Are you going to insert yourself into the community Absolutely. and the rituals and the faith practices and the disciplines? But even if you don't you're still Jewish and there's nothing that can ever take that away from you. And there's nothing you can do to ever take it away from yourself. Uh, Christians are do that differently and not culturally. Like if you're born in America, you're probably a Christian, right? But give me a break. Uh, That's not really the way it works, but the way I practice Christianity, you can't really choose to be a Christianity by going through the hoops, jumping through the hoops of uh, be a Christian, by jumping through the hoops of baptism or communion or whatever. Um, the Those who are and those who are not Christians, God knows. And that's it. And the rest of us, we do some rituals and we, we try to follow the one who says he was the Messiah and who we cross our fingers and hope, you know, either he is the Messiah or somebody like him will be uh, when you have a dowdy day. <laughs> but uh, what does it mean to be a Christian? It, as much as people want to call it a choice, it's never a choice. It's always a decision of God, not of the sinner, um, which is why I can't tell anybody, yes, you're definitely a Christian. Nor can I say, that person is definitely not a Christian. Right? But, I can't but say you have that. a conversion process, don't you? Yes. Yes. But what I don't do in that process is say, look, I'm so glad you are choosing to believe something. I am so glad you are leaning into this belief and that you're leaning into this belief is a commitment on your behalf to follow, to practice, to do all those things, and you become a member of a church in so doing. Yay, that's great. But the only faith that matters isn't yours or mine. It's the faithfulness of Christ. And to whomever 
the faithfulness of Christ is applied by so, Christ, they are the, quote, Christians. So as a just a thought experiment, if I if I showed up to your church, I mean, obviously you know me, but yeah. someone like me, yeah. and said, you know, I'm Christian, and mm. even though people knew I was Jewish and even went to rabbinical school, yeah. w- would you consider me Christian? You're trying to ask me to make a decision that I've tried not to make. What what I will do is like if you say you want to join our church, right? That's not a determination of whether you're a Christian or not. That's just a determination uh, so of whether you're is, a member. That's the difference. Yeah. So to be a member of my synagogue and any synagogue that I've ever lived, you know, lived lived in, worked at, um, one family member has to be Jewish. Sure. And, and most note, most Christians do not talk about this the way I'm talking about it, right? Most Christians equally apply. Christian. It's probably true for everything you say, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Most Christians equally apply Christian to member of church somewhere. Now, note, they will also apply Christian to people who never go to worship in their life. Well, of course I'm Christian. I believe Jesus died and and went to hell and rose again for my sins, right? And they can say but something even, like so- that and call themselves Christian, even if they have zero practices, no community of worship. Well, that's true for Jews too, but there is something there because you're saying what you're not. In other words, even even the most secular Jew that never belonged to temple, didn't, maybe didn't even have a bar mitzvah, still knows that they don't believe in Jesus as the Messiah, right? Or they don't believe in, you know, they, they don't talk about Muhammad. Like th- those are the things they're not. So what they are is a secular Jew. Does that Make sense? Yeah, we have secular Christians all over, especially Absolutely. in America and Europe and Western civilization in general is I just full. think religious identity is so important that it's not about one – and sometimes I get into this argument with, with people. It's not that I'm saying one religion is better than another, that, oh, if you celebrate – if you consider yourself Christian, you can't come here. That's not it at all. It's about it's about that there's a disconnect for me, and I think many Jews, that if you, for example, have a bar mitzvah, the essence of becoming bar mitzvah in a liberal Jewish context uh, is that you are a son of the commandment. That's what bar mitzvah means. And you're taking on Judaism as a Jewish adult, which happens at age 13. Of course, you know, what does that really mean? I, I, often, I ask my 13-year-old kids that I'm like, can you drive? Can you vote? So what does being in a Jewish adult mean? It, it actually does mean some things. Um, but but the, the point is, if you're declaring yourself a Jewish adult, how can you also declare yourself Christian? And by the way, I differentiate that from a Jew that, for example, celebrates Christmas. That's a different category for me. Because maybe they have a mom or dad who's Christian and they have a Christmas tree. For me, personally, that's different. Other rabbis, that riles them up. That does not rile me up. But I, at the same time, I don't think that you can be both Christian and Jewish. And let's differentiate all of this from Jews for Jesus, right? Which is – Yes. <laughs> Thank you. But, Which is a dangerous, so, right, uh, bastardization of both, right? So it, it becomes that weird space where the identity is an attempt to be 
something that feels like it's reconciling of two conflicting issues. But for me, there was no conflict. They don't need reconciliation. I get a little freaked out by... I bumped into a crew of those at Stone Mountain, Georgia one time and thought, yikes. <laughs> and by the way, I, I hope some of my uh, Jewish colleagues are listening because I often get into the argument with with other rabbis, fellow rabbis, when we talk about Jews for Jesus, be like, they're not really Jews, they're Christian. And I raise my hand, I say, I know a lot of Christian clergy that don't want them either. So let let's not you know let's let's not just throw them there because we don't want them. I can tell you they don't want them either. But but to some degree, Joel, that's my point. Like if Jews for Jesus kind of is a bastardi- bastardization. Bast- oh my goodness, that's it. You got but it. Not, you nailed it. Not, First okay. time. It just sounds like, he's weird. He's looking at me, but, but he's not going to help me. Um, it, it, I mean, that to me is the extreme of being both. Okay, but it, let's know, let's play use... with that one for a minute. So it, it's clear to you and me that they are not practicing either faith, right? They are not embedded into the communal 100%. responsibilities of either faith. But for me, I draw this other weird dotted line. Like, okay, you're not a member of my church. That's really clear. But if you were to go through the processes of joining as a member of the church— Right, and you were to say, "Yeah, I'm baptized. Yeah, I do this, but I also do that." Okay, you're a member of the church with some weird practices, right? But the community is going to hold you accountable to the oaths you took when you joined this community. And very few of our oaths block you from beliefs of freedom of conscience that stretch oh, beyond. Absolutely similar. Yes, same thing. Right. So yeah. off you go. Um, and and what I won't do is put on you the label of Christian or not Christian because of those freedom of conscience practices beliefs. I, it could, if you're a notorious liar and you steal money from the church, the church is going to discipline you for that. And you might lose some privileges of the community for doing that. But even still, I am going to allow God <laughs> right, to be the final decider of who is so- – Christian or not, not me and so my church's many practices. For what, again, good, bad, you know, without putting a valence on it, I think that might be a major difference that I wasn't aware of until just now. So in Judaism, and this is not something, this is a, re- a responsibility I take very seriously. It's not one that I hold, oh, I have so much power. I don't think any rabbi who's worth his or her you know, integrity does, but we are gatekeepers for that. We are. Sure. So when I talked about how, um, you know, I don't know what episode it was, you alluded to it earlier that, you know, you don't really need a rabbi. The one thing you need a rabbi for is if you want to convert. And if a, and being, you know, the only reform rabbi, I mean, we have a rabbi emeritus who's retired, uh, but being the only reform rabbi of a congregation in Athens that has a lot of power. I do have the authority to tell someone you cannot be a member here and I am not going to work with you on conversion to Judaism. I also tell them, you know, they're welcome to find another rabbi. And if another rabbi converts them to Judaism, I feel like I have the obligation to accept that, especially if it's, you know, a reform and conservative rabbi. I mean, you know, you, you ex- it's collegiate, you know, acceptance, right? But there have been people that I 
say no to. And it, it breaks my heart. And just as it does, I, you know, I've talked to friends about this. It doesn't happen often. I think I you sent one to worship at my church. Thanks a lot for that. Oh, I, but that's my point. When you say thanks a lot for that, you know why I didn't <laughs> let that person convert, right? A lot of Christian pastors talk about this and practice it exactly as you're talking about it and practice it, right? But for me, that Christian pastor who preached my dad's funeral was a gatekeeper. And what he said about dad is because dad committed the sin against Holy Spirit of suicide, he is irredeemable to God. And, and at the same time, his practicing theology was only Christians, those who are saved by faith in Jesus, are redeemable by God. So what I, pushback. I have come to practice that as, dude, you're, you're trying really hard to say something that sounds scriptural and true. And I will give you a few nuggets of trust that you're – all over and in the ballpark, but you haven't connected the dots well. It isn't about a person's personal faith in Jesus that matters. It's whether or not Jesus's faithfulness is gifted to that person. That's what matters in the great end. Now, here on this day-to-day planet where we practice faith and religion in churches and synagogues, I am going to be a gatekeeper for who joins this church much like you are. And here's a few rules. You have to be baptized by somebody at some point in your life with water (laughs) under the Trinitarian Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Uh, And that's it, really. If you're old enough, you profess faith. And there's no one that you've ever refused that right, R-I-T-E, to? Because you felt that they weren't right, appropriate, deep thinking enough, I mean, whatever. I've told people we're not the right congregation to baptize their grandchildren because our congregation would never have the opportunity to raise those children into the faith. And baptism is a promise of to the child from the parents and from the congregation. And sometimes you make that promise on behalf of a greater congregation. But if parents are just doing it to with no intention, or if the parents aren't involved at all, but the grandparents are forcing it on the parents, no, 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 we're right. we're not going to participate in that. This these children are not going to be a part of our congregation or any congregation. A baptism isn't a, isn't necessary for quote salvation. Is though I hate to even use that phrasing because we I right. I nuance that, but that's the shortcut way of saying it. I mean, conversion is. It, is so fascinating. I actually think of a parallel with immigration in that, you know, you could be born into this country, just like, so the the analogy, of course, is born into Judaism and, you know, not be active, not give to the community, not really care. And yet you are Jewish and yet you could be outside of it, want to convert, be completely supporting of the Jewish community, teach about the Holocaust, you know, give money to worthwhile causes of, of, of uh, righteousness and yet not be Jewish. And um, we, uh, very often, we, I, I think a lot of us, us being 
rabbis think of conversion in the sense of, is this person good for the Jews? You know, that, I mean, that that's, and I don't know if that's from 4,000 years of kind of um, neuroticism, but, uh, you know, is this good for the Jews? So, for example, when a prominent person gets arrested, I'm thinking of like Madoff, for example, the first question Jews ask is, oh, this is bad. The first thing Jews say, rather, is this is bad for the Jews because it's someone notable that that's Jewish. And so there's very much a sensitivity to that sort of thing. Um, you know, conversion's interesting because <laughs> only Christians would do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's an intellectual process as much as it, as it is spiritual, for, for me anyway, in that people need to learn about Judaism while also converting to it and living it. And people have different skills and different gifts. And at the end of the day, that is a question that I ask. Is, is this person, will this person contribute to our community? And I do not mean financially. Um, you yes, know, you will, do. Will you just don't mean only financially. Well, well, no, I mean, to be a member of our congregation, you have to make a f- financial contribution of record, but that contribution can be $1. Uh, you know, it just because to be a voting member. But, you know, I mean, when they go to services, will people, I mean, there are people that sometimes come to services and no one wants to talk to them because there's something about them, right? They, that they find awkward or off-putting or inappropriate. And those are, I'm sure you've... Let's differentiate uh, between awkward and bully, right? So if if somebody's socially awkward or has a personality quirk or Tourette's or uh, you know something, and and they're awkward, right? There, it's it's hard. Um, the churches that I've been a member of intentionally extend themselves to them, and they we're terrible at <laughs> building relationships with people who have those unique uh, quirks and and qualms, but. All three congregations that I've served pr- have proven themselves to be radically good at reaching out to those who the rest of society will treat as outcasts, and and that's a sign of a yeah, Christian we, church to me. So I'm grateful, but but at times, yeah, we, church folk really do struggle with bullies, meanies. Uh, Arrogant people, greedy people, power-hungry people. Churches are less sure what well, to do with You have people like that in Christianity, Sometimes, too? yes. <laughs> it's good to know there's no monopoly. On, on oh, my right gosh. Now. And they're often in leadership positions in one way yeah, or another. Well, they insist on being in leadership positions. Right. And then the but church doesn't back- know what to do with them. Oh, yeah, that's a difficult thing. But going back to the awkwardness thing, I I mean, in my previous congregation, we we sometimes use the phrase people that don't have people. And similarly, I have been blessed to be at congregations where, you know, people who are struggling financially, health-wise, emotionally, 100%, there's a reach out. And I think both of us would say that that is a primary component to being a a child of God, right? Right. but there, you know, every Friday night when we did gather together at services, we have an own egg afterwards. You've been where we have, you know, desserts and cookies and drinks and people kind of schmooze, a little Yiddish there. And, you know, for me, that is as important as the service. Amen. Of course, the, the joke I tell people is you have to go to one to go to the, to go to the other. Um, but there are people with that when they're at the own egg, you know, 
other people kind of walk around them or don't want to talk to them because of that, whether it's perceived or otherwise, that awkwardness, that discomfort. And um, but let's let, let's spin let's back, back around to membership for a minute. I don't ever expect you to know anything about New Testament, right? For us, so I, and I nor do I think I have to teach you it. But there are two things that come up from there for me as a result of today's conversation. One, there is this point where the Pharisees and scribes and Sadducees are circling around the crowds and the disciples with Rabbi Jesus trying to figure out who this guy is and what he's doing. And it makes me wonder if they were asking to one another, is this guy good for the Jews, uh, right? And and they kind of try to trap him because he sees them picking heads of grain on the Sabbath or they, they bring him a man with a withered hand and they wonder if he's going to heal on the Sabbath, right? And so he he says back to them, do not dare to think of yourselves as special because you are children of Abraham. I tell you, God can raise children of Abraham from these stones. And and that statement, right, as from him, I feel like is a good one to Christians. Don't you dare think of yourself as special because of something you've done or something. But I, I feel like it also applies to all of us who claim God as our, our as our parent. We'd best be careful to assume that we are the in and somebody else is the yes. out. Right. Well, and that's such a message in a practical sense of when it comes to temple and I would imagine church membership, because we you get into that, well, this is the way we've always done it. And we'd love you to be a member here, but you have to do what, you know, this is what we do. And what, what I challenge my congregation is, well, it's not what we do if our new members don't think it's what we do. In other words... They get to cre- now be a part of the creation process of what we do. Um, and that, by the way, goes back to um, being reform and not reformed, is that we're constantly in that process. And if we're not uh, going to do it, then let's agree to change it, right, to something else that we are going to do and then covenant right. with one another to do that. So let, let's agree. I feeling, got one more way, New Testament story for this. This is important. A, Circumcision, okay. right? Because you just had a naming ceremony for baby Aaron, and and that is a rite of passage, right? It's a big deal. It brought tears up in you. And Absolutely. there are pro- of the, what, 27 books of the, the New Testament, a half of them are written – to by or attributed to this guy Paul, right? Who is a a Jew among Jews and a Pharisee among Pharisees and a teacher of the law, and he his argument is all about circumcision. Most people don't know that much. The majority of the New Testament is about circumcision, but the debate was the only way to know you're in is if you're circumcised. Are you in or not? Um, and there were a lot of. Uh, I think the term was sympathizers. They were not Jews, but they had lived a Jewish life. They were not born Jewish, and they hadn't gone through conversion process to be Jews. But they worshipped a practice at synagogue, and then had never been circumcised. And Paul said, you're in by the faith of Christ. And if one thing is required— of us, 
then then it's all on us. And if it's all on us, we're human and we'll fail. It can't be on us. It's got to be on God. And that's where I get that. My theology comes from 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 that understanding. Uh, and that's why we're reformed. Luther and Calvin reread the text and decided, oh my gosh, this Christian church has been doing it wrong for 1,500 years. We've got to do it differently. I'm going to keep thinking about that. Stay tuned, everyone. <laughs> Listeners, if you really want to tweet at Joel, um, I didn't want to razz him, but given his his very um, firm, and I don't mean to joke about it because I share the same stance on gun control, um, we could talk about what games we play on Xbox together. (laughs) (laughs) You know, virtually doing it is so different than really doing it. Of course. Oh, Oh, thankfully. 100%. Yes. 100%. 100%. I know people who are more upset about video game violence than they are about real violence. Well, because it's, and again, when we talk about things that are easier or harder, that's, I have a, a congregant taught me this quote. I, th- I think it's attributed to Vince Lombardi, and I'm going to bastardize it just like I did the Jewish quote, which I really should know, which is something like, um, the stakes are so high because the importance is so low. It's something like that, that we tend to argue about the things that really are very low on the list of things we should change and the things. So it's like, like, where is the fury that 400,000 people have died from Corona? I mean, we are furious about that. But in terms of communally, I mean, and yet, you know, her emails. (laughs) Well, a a few deaths are a, a tragedy and hundreds of thousands of deaths are a statistic. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, this makes – and actually, apropos, I know we keep saying we're ending. Today, actually, until sunset, is International Holocaust uh, Remembrance Day. Mm-hmm. And I, I think of this often when teaching the Holocaust. I mean, how do you teach six million? You don't. You no. teach one life. You have people read Anne Frank. You watch Schindler's List. And then you kind of, you know, maybe no. get the gravity of it. You walk in the room of shoes. Oh, my God. And then you – Numbers become, people become overwhelming flood of tears and grief in the room of shoes. One more thing. Eventually we will conclude. And Saturday night, I'm really excited about this. So the when Shabbat ends on Saturday, when the sun goes down, it's called Havdalah, which literally means separation. And it's a short service, five, ten minute service. And then our congregation has these monthly programs that are usually uh, some sort of cultural education or entertainment. We've had musical groups perform. Um, We've had people talk about Jewish artists. So on Saturday, myself and a friend of mine from the congregation who's a a big uh, movie buff um, are talking about how Jews portray themselves in movies, and we picked five films. One of them is Defiance with Daniel Craig. Have you seen that one, Joel? And, um, you know, it, it's a Holocaust-themed movie, uh, a, a group of resistance fighters um, that hide in the forest for years. I'd seen the movie before. Like many other Jews, I consider myself somewhat numb sometimes, not to the Holocaust, but to depictions of the Holocaust. 
And yet I'm watching this movie. I'm taking notes in my Google Doc. Hysterical. You know, just tears running down my face. Even though I know the movie, I know the film, and yet – and it's not about the movie, you know, eliciting emotions, which of course movies do. Um, but the reality of, of, you know, the connection of human beings and the loss and everything. Um, I don't want to end on a down note. What else you got to, to, for us to say goodbye to? Hi. Well, since you're bringing up Daniel Craig, I am itching for the new James Bond to come out. Oh, I was hoping Apple TV was going to get it. There was a rumor that Apple was going to buy it for $400 million and it and uh, they didn't get it. Um, so I was hoping just to be in my living room and, you know, watch it. But, yeah, I'm with you. It's been almost a year since that thing was supposed to come out. I know. I know. But something is happening because I'm getting Quantum of Solace and all all these recommendations are popping up. And I'm like, you're trying to sucker me <laughs> into, <laughs> into having my bond fix, uh, you know, appetized. So I'm ready to spend X dollars when you launch it on some weird platform that I've never heard of. Yeah, well, just come over here and watch it in my surround sound, and then we could play Call of Duty on split screen. And... Uh, yeah, that's a that's a quite a long commute for a Bond movie now, man. <laughs> I, I suppose. I suppose. Uh, Joel, it's always good talking and learning with you. You too, buddy. Keep it real until we're together again. Absolutely. Thank you for joining us on the Real Religion Podcast today, where a rabbi and a reverend walk into a podcast and talk real about religion. I'm Reverend Joel Talbert, and on behalf of Rabbi Eric Linder and all the Real Religion fans out there, we thank you for being with us today and invite you to send us any feedback or suggestions or topic ideas to realreligionpodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, keep it real.